Yeah, and I can't wait to host prayer tonight. It's going to be good. So I hope you can make it. Um, I'm looking at the time, and I'm also wondering if maybe I should do what I planned on doing or go off-road. So, Lord, I just pray that you would lead us this morning and that you would direct our conversation. Jesus, you are the most gracious person that any of us could ever have met. And I would only pray, Lord, that I could be just half as gracious as you are. Lord, I know that if I would just die to myself, um, if I could just receive your grace, Jesus, that would enable me to give it. So, Lord, I pray today that you would teach us from your word, the Bible. And I ask this in your holy name. Amen. Yeah, I think we're going to go off-road. So I'm going to give you, a, I'm sorry, Katie. You, some, I don't know if any of these will be there. So there are three Bible passages that we're going to need to look at this morning. So if you could be looking ahead, that way then you can keep your thumb in there and be, you know, be there when we get there. So one of them, we're going to start in Matthew chapter 27. Matthew 27. And then we're going to go to John chapter, I think it's 20 or 21, like in there. And then we're going to go to, then we're going to end up in Mark chapter 1, I think. So, you know, we've been talking about, so I started this series a couple of uh, weeks ago on, called Allure, Attracting Others to Jesus, right? And the, the idea is that Jesus is very attractive. He's very appealing to people. We, even people that don't believe in Jesus are fascinated by Jesus. And Jesus lives in me as a follower of him, right? And he lives in you if you have given your heart to him. If he's your savior, he lives in you as well. And so the, the key would be to somehow become see-through so that the world can see Jesus through me. And if the world can see Jesus through me, then they would be attracted to Jesus. But a lot of the times, right, you and I um, sort of get in the way of the message at times, don't we? And so we've started this series, and the goal is to get to Galatians chapter 5, where we talk about the fruit of the Holy Spirit, because that's really the, those nine fruit in Galatians chapter 5 are really nine characteristics of Jesus' person, and we're going to get there, I'm pretty sure, eventually, but I keep getting stuck here in the intro for the last three weeks Last Sunday, we started talking about grace and how Jesus is so gracious. And I said it last Sunday, I, I warned you that we would have to do part two today. And um, I don't know where this is going. I, uh, I just see something. And I, I don't know if you can understand my, fr- I hope you probably can. You can understand my frustration. I can see it. I can see it. I just can't put my words around it. Have you ever been there? <laughs> Oh, man, so there's, so maybe, so that's what it is, I guess, so I'm just, mm. so today, (laughs) so, so we talked, we started last Sunday talking about how, like, Satan is this great scam artist, you know, and, and he's got this great scam going on where he, he tells you something's really good, he tempts you to do something by telling you how good it is, and then you do it. 
because, you know, he convinced you to do it. And then he shames you for doing it. And then when you, he shames you for doing what he tempted you to do, then you go back to him and he sells you religion as a way to fix it. So religion says, just try harder, do more, do better, and you can fix it, right? And, of course, he knows that you're going to fail at that. And then when you do fail at that, he shames you some more. And then when you're feeling ashamed for failing at religion, he gives you more religion to fix that. And then you fail at that. And then you feel more ashamed. And then you get caught in this cycle over and over and over and over again. And that's where all of us are. And I wonder, how, if you treated me that way, how often, when would I stop coming back to you for help? Right? But I think that part of the reason why we keep coming back to him is this religion appeals to my pride because it says you can fix this you can do this man see that feels good that appeals to my pride i think that's why i keep coming back and and so then we're caught in this kind of conflict between shame and then jesus enters the picture and he's pure grace and what does shame and grace look like so shame says this you have to change in order to be accepted you have to do this and do this and do this and then you can be accepted that's shame that's why religion fits shame perfect because try harder do better do more do all these things and then you'll be acceptable grace says oh you're accepted so now you're free to change. Great shame says, cover up, put on a show so that, so that nobody can see the cracks in my life, right? So put it on, everything is nice and shiny and looks great. So now I'm acceptable. Grace says, I accept you as is. And then what we tend to do with grace is we test it. We go, do you accept me with this? And we let something out. And then Jesus says, yeah, I love you. Oh, okay, I don't need that anymore. And it goes away. Well, how about this? Right? And Jesus says, I, I accept you. Oh, I guess I don't need that anymore either. And over time, it's amazing. In the Bible, there are two characters. And I think that's why this is timely this morning. Because we're coming up on Easter. And these two guys come out of the Easter story. But I want to contrast Judas and Peter this morning because Judas represents shame and where it takes us, and Peter represents grace. And so we start with, let's start with, you know, the negative first. Let's start with shame. Matthew chapter 27. You know, Judas was one of Jesus' 12 disciples, right? And Judas betrayed Jesus. He's kind of forever known as the Benedict Arnold of the disciples. He betrayed Jesus, stabbed him in the back. But what a lot of people don't emphasize is that Judas was filled with remorse over what he had done. Matthew chapter 27 records that for us. So look at verse 1. Early in the morning, now this is before Jesus was crucified, but it is looking bad for Jesus. 
Early in the morning, all the chief priests and the elders of the people made their plans how to have Jesus executed. So they bound him, led him away, and handed him over to Pilate the governor. When Judas, who had betrayed him, saw that Jesus was condemned, look at this, he was seized with remorse. Some versions of the Bible say he repented. He was seized with remorse, and he returned the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and the elders. I have sinned, he said, for I have betrayed innocent blood. Can you imagine the depth of pain that Judas felt, realizing that he was now responsible for crucifying the Savior of the world? I mean, right? Talk about the oops. I have betrayed the Messiah. I am responsible for betraying innocent blood. And Judas comes before his religious leaders with remorse. Can you picture this broken man coming into their meeting? How would you respond to such a man who comes into your meeting, into your gathering, despondent, absolutely broken over what he had done? Well, here's how they responded. What's that to us, they replied. That's your responsibility. So Judas threw the money into the temple and left. Then he went away and hanged himself. That's the end result of religion and shame. I, I reach a certain point where I cannot try any harder, I cannot do any more, and I cannot do any better. And the people that I turned to for help and guidance, they're not helping me. Think about where Judas was at. I, I, I just condemned my Savior, and the guys that I've been looking to my whole life for help and guidance, they just cast me out. He was in a rock and a hard place, right? That's where shame takes you. I, I reach a certain point where I can't try any harder and I can't do any more and I can't do any better. And all of the solutions that I've reached for before just haven't worked. Now what? That's where Judas went. Now you contrast that with Peter. John chapter 20. What gets me about Peter and Judas is this. Peter and Judas both knew Jesus. So what is it, well, that Peter knew about Jesus that Judas didn't know? What is it that Peter believed about Jesus that Judas didn't believe about Jesus? Judas, look at John chapter 20, or 21 rather, 21 verse 1. So now Jesus, this is, uh, Jesus has risen from the dead now, okay? The crucifixion is over, Easter Sunday has taken place. Uh, there's rumors spreading around. Jesus has risen from the dead. Uh, lots of confusion. Lots of, you can imagine the, the talk and the hum that was taking place, right, between people in these couple of days after Jesus' resurrection. And that's where we're at, right there. And it says, verse 1, Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. Simon Peter Thomas, also known as Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them. And they said, 
we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. You know, I think when times are confusing, we tend to go back to what's comfortable for us. And for Peter, fishing is what's, that was comfortable. So the, the boat was calling him. He had to get out, get away from the confusion and kind of collect his thoughts, you know. So Peter went out to the water. Verse 4, early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved, that's John, said to Peter, it's the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it's the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him for he'd taken it off and he jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from shore, about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you've just caught. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153. But even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have some breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread, and gave it to them, and he did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. But it was the first time that Jesus had seen Peter. Do you remember the last time that Peter had seen Jesus was when he denied him for the third time? You understand Judas wasn't the only one who betrayed Jesus. Peter did it too. We, we always point the finger at Judas like he was the betrayer, and he was. But Peter also betrayed Jesus. And the Bible tells us, to me, it's one of the most emotionally moving scenes of the Bible. But on his third time that he denied that he knew Jesus... I don't know which gospel it is in, but it says that he caught Jesus' eye. Jesus was, Jesus was being in the course of all the trials and all of the craziness going on that night. Peter denies that he knows Jesus for the third time, and his eyes lock with Jesus' across the courtyard. And that's when it sinks in Peter's heart. Oh, my God, what I just did. And he ran off and he wept. That was the last he saw Jesus until this moment. So now I want you to think about that. What did Peter know about Jesus? That the last time he saw Jesus, he denied he even knew him and he even cursed. And now, now he sees Jesus early in the morning and he jumps in the water and he swims to shore to greet him. They hadn't been restored yet. It wasn't like Jesus said, oh, Peter, it's you. Come over, my friend. Everything's cool. It's great. Come hither. The King James, you know, you got to do that to be biblical. Come hither, thine disciple. And he brings him not like that at all. Peter knew that Jesus would receive him somehow. And he jumps in and he swims. And then verse 15. Oh, I love this scene. When they had finished eating... 
I would love to know what they talked about during that breakfast. We don't know. So they're eating. And then they finish, and Jesus says to Simon Peter. So it's almost like Jesus is, I wonder if he's dragging this out for maximum effect. If he's, I wonder what's going on in Peter's mind while they're eating breakfast. Peter's thinking, the last time I saw you, I said I didn't even know you. And I even cussed when I said it. I mean, he was serious. I don't know that man. I mean, and here we are, now we're having breakfast together. What's going through Peter's mind? But finally, Jesus breaks the silence. Or finally, he gets to the, you know, cuts through the chit-chat, gets to the heart of the conversation, and he says, Simon... Son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, then feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know I love you. Jesus goes, then take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, remember how many times Peter denied that he knew Jesus? Right. So the third time Jesus says, Simon, son of John, do you love me? This time Peter breaks down. Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you you know all things. You know that I love you, Jesus said feed my sheep. You know that in the Greek language they had three words for love that that get translated into the word love. They have the word eros, which is the romantic kind of love. They have the word phileo, which is the friendship kind of love. And then they have agape, which is God's kind of love, the highest form of love. The first two times that Jesus asks Peter, do you love me? He uses the word agape. Peter, do you agape me? Do you love me, Peter? Well, yeah. The third time Jesus asks him, he says, Peter, do you phileo me? He uses the other Greek word. And I believe what Jesus is saying is this. You know, sometimes to say I like you is more meaningful than to say I love you. You know, sometimes. Peter denied that he knew Jesus. Jesus, do you, Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord. Peter, do you love me? Yeah, Lord, I love you. Peter, but do you like me? And that's when Peter broke. Lord, you know all things. You know I like you. Okay, Peter. Then let's go. Right? That's grace. Grace says, I accept you. Now you're free to change. I accept you. You don't have to clean anything up, Peter. You don't have to dress it up. You don't have to pretend. You don't. You can come as raw as you are. I accept you as is. Now you're free to change. That's what Peter knew about Jesus, that somehow Judas missed. I believe that had Judas known that about Jesus, and I think he did, but had he believed it about Jesus... Judas might have been at that breakfast that morning, and I wonder how the conversation would have gone, right? We don't know. That's shame. Shame says you have got to clean up your act before you'll be accepted.
grace says, you're accepted, so now you're free to change. And you know what Satan has done? He's very cleverly thrown in now a new lie in our culture because he's trying to counteract the message of grace. And the new message is this, it's tolerance. Because what grace, so shame says you have to change to be accepted. Grace says you're accepted, so now you're free to change. Tolerance says you're accepted, period. And at first that feels good, like, oh, great. I was born this way. You can't blame me. I'm just going to do whatever I want to do. You have to accept me for who I am. Boom. Except we inherently know that that's not enough. We know something's not right. We know it. How do I know we know it? Because we keep trying. That's how I know we know it. We know it deep down inside that tolerance does not take it far enough. Grace. Grace says... I accept you as is, and now you're free to respond to Jesus, right? See, here's what Jesus does. Jesus looks you in the mirror, and he says, I love you, I love you, I've always loved you, and I always will love you, and I've loved you since before the beginning of the world. I've loved you that long, and I accept you as you are. I love you. I'm dying to get to know you. Jesus knows something about you that you know about you, but you tend to forget a lot of times. And here's what Jesus knows. Jesus knows that you learn best by watching. Don't we? You don't learn by a seminar. You learn best by watching. When you see it done, you, you pick it up and it sticks with you a lot longer. And Jesus knows that this principle applies for the good or for the bad in our lives. The Bible says that bad company corrupts good character. So it's kind of negative. But the flip side is also true. The Bible says he who walks with the wise grows wise. So he knows that you learn by watching and we rub off on one another, whether it's for the better or for the worse. And Jesus knows that if he can just get you close enough to himself, that he'll rub off on you and that you'll begin to like the things that he likes and you'll begin to do the things that he does and you'll begin to feel the way that he feels and you'll begin to learn how to keep his pace and his rhythm, right? That's why Jesus says to you and me, come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, he says, because my yoke is easy and my burden is light. In ancient farms, whenever they would yoke a pair of oxen together, you know, to plow a field, if they had a young ox, they would yoke the young ox with the older ox because the young ox is going to chafe and buck and but that that young ox can be yoked together with an older ox, give it time, it'll begin to plow a straight furrow. It'll follow the older experienced ox, right? And that's the analogy that Jesus is using. He says, take my yoke upon you. He's already in the yoke. Jesus is the older experienced ox to follow the analogy. And he's inviting you to share the yoke with him. Take the yoke upon you, go ahead, and we will plow this thing called life together. And as we do, I will rub off on 
you. And I'm convinced that actually this yoke has three sections. There's one for me, there's one for Jesus, and then there's one for a friend. Jesus is in the center of the yoke, and I'm on one side of the yoke. And I'm convinced that what this world desperately needs is for more of us to invite people into relationship. Why don't you come and share this with me and Jesus? And let's let Jesus rub off on both of us together. So that's grace. I don't know how else to say it. You say, well, what's the secret to change? It's got to be some new technique. Yeah, it's no Jesus. Yeah, okay, sure, but how many hours a day do I have to read the Bible? Well, no Jesus. Well, yeah, of course, but how much money do I have to give? No Jesus. Well, yeah, but how many poor people do I have to help? Yeah, no Jesus. That's the answer, no Jesus. It, it can't be that simple, can it? Yeah, I'm not saying it's easy, but it's simple. No Jesus, because he'll rub off. See, all Satan is going to do is give you another set of rules. Here's how you fix it. Do this, do this, do this, do this. And Jesus says, know me. John chapter 17, verse 3. Jesus said, this is eternal life. That they would know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. This is eternal life. That they would know you the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Jesus defines eternal life, look at it, as knowing him. That's what eternal life is, knowing him. See, to know him, that's a, that's a personal, intimate, experiential knowing Jesus. It's the difference between driver's ed and driving a car, right? In one, I walk away with great notes. In the other, I actually get to drive a car. Knowing Jesus, that's driving the car. It's not just taking notes about Jesus. It's actually knowing him. It's experiencing him, right? And that's what Jesus defines eternal life as. That's what Jesus is inviting you and me into. Because he knows if he can hang out with you long enough, you will begin to look like him without anybody telling you, here's what you should do or shouldn't do or can do and can't do. Just know Jesus, and he will begin to rub off on you. And that takes us, I think, to our last passage. Oh, end of those notes. And that's this, in Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1, verse 40. Mm-hmm. And it says this. I think that you guys can come and get ready for the last song if you want. It says, a man with leprosy came to him. This is Mark chapter 1, verse 40. A man with leprosy came to him and begged him on his knees. If you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus was indignant. He reached out his hand and he touched the man. I am willing, he said. Be clean. Immediately the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. Jesus sent him away at once with a strong warning, 
see that you don't tell this to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Instead, he went out and began to talk freely, spreading the news. As a result, Jesus could no longer enter a town openly, but stayed outside in lonely places. Yet the people still came to him from everywhere. Do you see how attractive Jesus is? Jesus was trying to get away from people, and they were tracking him down, right? Here's the deal. Leprosy, that was like the AIDS of the first century, you know? I mean, people were terrified to get leprosy. Leprosy was a skin disease that you could see the sores on the skin. And anybody that had that leprosy was basically condemned to be rejected until it was gone. They literally had to walk around with a cloth over their mouth. And they had to, if they saw somebody, they had to yell, unclean, unclean. Basically, reject me, reject me. I have leprosy. And the lepers hung out together because nobody else would hang out with them. Can you imagine being outcast in such a way? I think that, yes, you can imagine being outcast in such a way. Leprosy still exists. You're either too fat or too thin or too old or too young or too white or too black or too female or too uneducated or too gay or too straight. Just put a two in front of it and you can find somebody with a label who's going to wear that label, right? Modern-day leprosy. Leprosy represents anything that makes me think that I've been disqualified. Somehow I'm out. I'm out. Done. I did this thing or I am this thing, therefore I am outcast. That's leprosy. And this man comes to Jesus and he begs. And you see Jesus' response the word he says there is indignant. Jesus was indignant. It, the word, the Greek word there literally means, his, it means churning of the bowels. So Jesus was sick to his stomach is what it meant. As he saw this guy, he's sick to his stomach over the plight of this man. Have you ever seen someone with such need that it makes you sick to your stomach? You just ache for that person. And that's Jesus feeling this man's pain, aching for this person, aching. And he heals this man with leprosy and makes him right, makes him whole. You know, I'm convinced that uh, there are a lot of people in our world who they maybe they don't, we don't use the word leprosy, but there are a lot of people with leprosy. You know them. You work with them, you live with them. Maybe you are one of them who has the two in it, right? You're wearing one of those labels or maybe another label of your own choosing. You know, it's leprosy. Compassion, you know, moved with compassion that's the Jesus I know. 
that says, I, that says I'm, I'll touch the leper. I'll touch that, right? Part of what qualifies you to give grace is that you've received grace. And when you forget the grace that you've received, you lose the ability to share grace. <laughs> the truth is, every one of us is in need of a Savior. I've just happened to have been blessed enough to have a relationship with Jesus. And now it's my privilege to share that with anyone and everyone who's willing to listen. Right? To invite them into relationship. Not to another set of rules, but to relationship. Let's come, let's know Jesus together. Part of the mistake that a lot of people have about the church is you think of the church as being the answer, right? And it really isn't. I love the church. But, but if, you don't have, if you don't know Jesus, the church really does leave you dry. The church is really just a group of people seeking to know Jesus together. That's really it. And if I'm coming, if I'm participating in it for any other reason then it will eventually really leave me dry because it's just not about anything else except sharing the yoke together, you know? So maybe some of you this morning, I got a sense in my heart that a couple of us are just on the verge of giving up on the whole thing because, well, I want to invite you to share the yoke with me and Jesus. It's a long-term deal. It's not a quick fix. I can't promise you three steps and you're all better by next week. But I can promise you this, that if you're willing to come into an intimate relationship with Jesus and with a few of the rest of us who are also willing to do the same thing, that give it enough time and we will all begin to look like Jesus. He'll take care of those things. He'll take care of that leprosy that you got going on. If that's your desire, then I just want to encourage you to give that to him this morning as we close the service, you know? Jesus, I'm bringing my leprosy to you today, and I'm asking you to heal it, Lord. I've, I've tried three steps to greatness. I've tried three rules to better, li to better living. I've tried the formulas, Jesus, and they just don't work. Like Judas, I've been left high and dry. And I find myself at the end of my rope. But Lord, like Peter, I want to be able to know. Lord, that I can fail you and still swim to a beach and find that you would receive me. You're just amazing, Jesus. You're the most gracious person that I've ever met. And so, Lord, I pray today that my friends here would embrace you. And I pray this in your name.